This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Tonight, if you open your Bibles with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter, I would like you to uh, just prepare for... The, I always love the opening night message. I, I, you know, I always take advantage of you guys by giving the opening night message. But uh, as we begin the conference... Uh, entering into promise. I think we have to understand what an honor it is. What an honor it is for us to be here. And even more importantly, what a privilege it is for us to be able to serve God, to serve the people of God, and to serve the people of this earth by sharing with them the principles of God's life and the vision that He carries for them as individuals and as nations. Matthew, the 28th chapter, is known as the Great Commission, verse 18 through 20. It says, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He was giving this to his disciples. These are the last words of Jesus before he ascended and went to heaven. The very last words. He says, go ye therefore and teach or make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then he ascended into heaven. This is a very, very powerful command. And it's not just for his disciples. It's for all of his disciples. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us that name ourselves as Christians. Here's my great concern. We have many converts to Christianity in Africa. Many people have converted. But we have few disciples. Few that have brought themselves under the discipline of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Few that can teach others who can literally live the life that Jesus wanted. Reinhard Bonnke, one of my friends, the late Reinhard Bonnke, said this. He says, spiritually, Africa is a thousand miles wide, but only an inch deep. To me, that's an indictment. Here's the greatest evangelist on the African continent, or one of them, would make a comment like that. But it's true. We have many people that call themselves believers in Christ, but their life does not reflect the true power. Even the power that we heard in some of those testimonies tonight. Wow. I remember some of these young guys giving their lives to Jesus. I remember Pastor Greg coming to me, and he was a student in, uh, where, in uh, Peter Maritzburg. And he comes to me and he said, if you're starting a church in Zimbabwe, I'm going to be there. And sure enough, when we started the church, guess who was right on the front row and has been for the last 40 years? Pastor Greg McQueen. Amen. I remember a little girl jumping my gate, running down my driveway. I think she could still do it today, but that, how many years ago was that? 35 years ago. 35 years ago. She and her husband have 
started churches in Johannesburg, in Kenya, and now they're in Ethiopia. And by the way, we have all the paper signed for the church in Ethiopia. Gift and Sue Mbaya, thank you so much. God bless you. God saved you, but you have saved, and God has used you to save many. I'll tell you what, when the gospel changes you, you can't help but be a voice. You can't help but change others. And it's very, very exciting to me. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, because I, I believe that as we enter into promise, there's something about what I'm talking about that can change Africa, change Zimbabwe. You see, discipling the nations is ultimately an act of love that is carried out in a very strategic way by God's people, by his leaders. These are men and women who are internally compelled by the power of the Spirit to carry out. Now, guys, I feel like I'm dropping out there. Am I okay? If I need to do something, let me know. See, I believe that this is the promise for those of us in the New Testament church. The promise is and has been made possible by us, you and I, getting our hands dirty and being Christ's ambassadors for his kingdom to bring heaven to earth. As it is in heaven, so be it on earth. Thy kingdom come. See, we get to carry out this great commission on three interrelated levels. By the way, I don't know that we as a church or that I have always done these three levels well, nor have we always been successful in doing them at the same time. I think we've tried to do all this, but I'm not sure we've done it all well all the time. But tonight I want to open this conference by taking a look at what it means to be a disciple and how you and I as ambassadors of Jesus Christ can lead ourselves, our families, our churches, our communities, our businesses, and our nation and our nations that we represent, how we can lead them to enter into promise, lead them into the promise of Christ. We do this three ways. Number one, we do it through impacting public policy. I don't know that the church has always been good at impacting public policy. But you see, some of you are beginning to mature to the place that you really do represent Jesus. And now I think it's important that you take your place in not only the marketplace, but in the public forum. And we begin to stop letting the WHO and the UN and everybody else dictate policy to us as a nation, and we as Zimbabweans and whatever other nation you're from begin to stand up and say, no, this is the policy that we want, these are the ways we want to live, and we begin to impact public policy. Thank you for those three amens. Amen. The second thing we need to do is we need to begin to create strong local communities. Strong local communities. You know, it's not enough to have a strong family. It's not enough for you to be the head man of your own little family and your little family unit. We've done that very well in Zimbabwe. I'm just not sure we've created very strong communities together. Community is the power of a society. Strong families, strong marriages, strong homes, and then strong communities build strong nations. We need to begin to create strong local communities. And then finally, number three, we need to push back the demonic strongholds which hinder man's ability to act freely 
in God. Whenever you're not free, whenever you don't feel freedom, whenever there is any fear, negative emotion, control, domination, intimidation, those are not indicators that God is present. In fact, those are indicators that the opposite is present. The thief comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. The thief is, the, the Bible says that it's the devil who works in the arena of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, of strength, and of a sound mind. The minute this so-called pandemic came, I knew exactly where it came from. It was not God. It, was, it had nothing to do with sickness. It had to do with control. It had to do with domination. More people died of fear than they did of COVID. It's true. Do you know we had 5,500, I don't know what it is today, maybe a little bit more than that, but around that number, die of COVID. But we don't even talk about how many died of suicide because of fear. We don't even, and there's a whole lot more than that, I can tell you that. And I think it's important that we understand the source of some of these things and that we rise up and we begin to say, no, I will resist the devil. I will not allow fear to dominate my life. I'm not going to be a part of the kingdom of, the, of, of darkness, but of the kingdom of light in Jesus' name. I think it's a time for all believers to prepare strategically and effectively to engage on all three of these levels, these interrelated levels, and begin to release God's plan for the nation of Zimbabwe and for the nations that you represent. And these are nations that the enemy has held, for, and I, but I believe God wants to do something for such a time as this. Because we're now experiencing a social and economic upheaval like we've never seen before. In our lifetime, we've never seen anything like this, and we've been through a heck of a lot, let me tell you something. We have seen our government take our money inflate our money, and we're on that same path again. But this is different this time because this is worldwide. This is global what we're seeing. And we haven't seen this in hundreds and hundreds of years. But I believe that God is setting us up for something. And I believe that we're in a position for true apostolic ministries to begin to define the work of the church in the context of the church's position in society. It's time for the church to stand up and stop playing little games and trying to saddle up to politicians and trying to, you know, get the politicians to tell us how great we are. I don't care how great. I know how great we are. I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't serve a politician. The church does not exist for herself, but to serve the king and his kingdom. I believe that we are on the threshold of a major spiritual revolution, so to speak. I do not believe that we as the church can continue as we have been. But we must begin to see a shift in the goals and the structures. And we're going to see many congregations shift, many leaders shift as God begins to breathe and begins to take us into promise. I believe that the current economic and social values crisis Zimbabwe and the world are experiencing will usher forth a whole new kind of leader, not only in society. How many of you know we need some new leaders in society? 
The leaders that are there now are not leading, but neither are they in the church either. We need new leaders in the church as well. Matthew 13, 29 said, let both grow together. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He's talking about the, 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 there was a, an evil person who came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. And he said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You know, when Jesus taught this to the disciples, he taught them that they couldn't pull up the tares from the wheat from within the wheat because of their common root structure. They were bound together. And that's exactly why anything that greatly affects the world also greatly affects the church and vice versa. Because we are in this thing together. The church isn't separate from the world. We're, we're in this world together and we're, we're bound together. But although we're bound together, we're not of this world, those of us that are true. Both sets of leaderships from the world system and the church are going to be severely affected by the current crisis that we're facing in this world. This crisis is already revealing and identifying the leaders who will be able to take us through the crisis, who will be, who will be able to build the new structures. And these new structures will begin to emerge from this crisis. By the way, this crisis that we're facing is only secondarily about man's failing society and economic systems, social and economic systems. It is primarily about repositioning global leaders to connect to kingdom consciousness prior to Christ's return. The leaders who, you see the Bible, it talks about the kinds of leaders that will be here. There'll be godly, Christ-like leaders, men that align themselves with the kingdom of God, and then there'll be those who hate us, who hate Christ, anti-Christ leaders, anti-Christ people that will curse God, and they'll even mock him before the return of Christ. So there's a division being made. And it'll be very evident. It'll be very plain. There'll be no doubt as to which side they fall on. Let me tell you something. They will either be a tear or they'll be a wheat. God has a purpose. He's the author of history. God uses man's choices and his shortcomings to remove one leader and to raise, or one system and to raise up another. As he does this, there are shifts that take place in the spiritual world often to even realign governments and leaders into a deeper awareness of the kingdom of God as we move closer to his return. Hebrews 12 says it this way, verses 25 through 29. It says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape, or shall not we escape, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace thereby that we may serve God acceptably with reverence 
and with godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Can I tell you something? We're about to see an entering into promise. God, you know, many of us, we saw, we, we've, told, uh, we've preached it. God's going to answer by fire. God is the God of... We, and, and we've played games with it sometimes. We've even, you know, had little mini revivals where, you know, how many people could we blow and you fall down? Or how many people could lay hands on and you fall down? And, and those were early manifestations of what God wanted to do. But I don't believe that that was the power of God necessarily for what he wants to do in the land of promise. I do believe, though, that those are evidences of things that you'll be doing. And it won't be necessarily amongst believers. It'll be God in your domain, in the area that he's called strong and mature disciples to, to begin to manifest. It's time now for the response. In fact, it's the responsibility of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, true apostles, true prophets, true evangelists, true pastors and true teachers. We got so many charlatans out there today, so many fakes diviners. They give you a, a wow factor, but they don't build you. They t- they're taking from you. They want your money only for themselves. I'll take all your money for the kingdom. I'm, I'm coming after your money because I know this. If I have your heart, you'll give into the kingdom, but it won't be by coercion. It'll be by opportunity. That's my job. My job is to give you opportunity to sow a seed into the kingdom of God, not into my life. Amen. It's time for these fivefold ministries to begin to, in earnest, equip the saints for their specific assignments in the kingdom of God. In all the jurisdictions of kingdom work, whether it be family or the church or, and its structures, or if it's in commerce and industry or marketplace economic world, and, and, and even the device or the diverse world of public policy and culture. All these things are to be infiltrated. They're to be influenced by the kingdom of God. I believe that we are seeing a time where there will be a a bonding together of people who will wonderfully act on his behalf. Ministry teams will begin to emerge in every dimension of culture as the excitement of the kingdom realities become more and more commonly perceived and expressed. I believe that some of you are going to find yourself in boardrooms stopping and saying, let's pray, and the power of God is going to show up. I believe some of you are going to find the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge moving through you in ways you'd never imagined before as this promise begins to be felt in the earth, felt in each of these spaces. But let me give you a warning. Do not look at the short-term trends, either economically or conditionally that you're seeing around the world. I'll tell you what, if you're, listening to, if you're still listening to the mainstream news, you are deceived. That is all propaganda. There is nothing true in any of it. It doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on, conservative or liberal, it's all propaganda. I can tell you that. You better start listening to what the Holy Spirit and what God is saying. You need to expect there to be a lot of misleading reports. You should be suspicious at best of anything that's coming out of mainstream anything. You're going to see a lot of misleading reports, especially coming out of these failing systems and and the propaganda organs that they use to cover their shortcomings, to cover their deficiencies. 
Because there's a lot of shortcomings and deficiencies, and they just aren't going to be able to paper over them anymore. It's just getting to be too blatant. For some of you, it'll be imperative as you begin to move into positions of leadership, both inside and outside of the church, that you be sufficiently connected with both. You'll need to be guided by seasoned, spiritual, and true prophetic ministry, apostolic and prophetic ministry, as well as experts in the field of both kingdom and worldly economic social trends. Guys, we're, we're moving into something I don't know if we've ever been here before, and it's going to take a, a, a high degree of creativity, a high degree of, of, of leadership, a high degree of, of, of discernment, a high degree of spirituality to, to lead nations, to disciple nations. The key to changing what is going on in the public policy level really has to do with aligning our lives with the proclamations of the kingdom. The gospel spoken and preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. And each of us living and functioning in a spirit-filled, spirit-led lifestyle. That's what's going to change our nation. We don't need any more sermons, I can tell you that. We don't need any more people getting on the internet and preaching somebody else's sermon. What we need are spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-anointed men and women who have a relationship with the living God to step up into their domain and let God let God and let His Holy Spirit lead through them. We need to be constantly upgrading our worldview to a kingdom point of view, which is spiritually evaluated rather than naturally evaluated by simple logic or reason. Our government today, here especially in Zimbabwe, we have brilliant minds that have been able to write and regurgitate data and information that is technically correct but it's what, I re- what is referred to in Scripture as dead letter of the law. There's no life in it. It's just, you can't do that. Why? Because this is what the book says. Let me tell you something. It's so, I'm so tired of book learning. I'm so tired of, this is what it says. I don't care what it says. It's not working. Can you make something that works? No, it's the rule. The rules aren't working. Let's fix it. But it's going to take spirit-filled, spirit-led people. We are in dire need of people who can think critically and who can be led by the Holy Spirit to solve real problems. We're in dire need of leaders who will allow God to direct them so that they can be the change agents needed to affect the lives of those they serve and those they lead. And let me tell you something, when you're serving by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're never thinking about you. You're not making boasts, I want to be the richest man in Africa. I could give a... I could care less. See, I'm being spirit-controlled tonight. I am. (laughs) Revelation, or some like to call it illumination, is spiritually assessed. It's not intellectually assessed. I'm sorry. We cannot disciple nations 
without revelation. Pastor Bonnie says it on a regular basis. She says, revelation gives you permission to enter. Can I, can I explain what that means? You could be sitting in a boardroom and they're droning on about, well, you know what the man, and all it takes is one revelation to say, I know what you've been saying for the last five years, but it hasn't worked. Here's what God's saying. Boom! And it changes the atmosphere. It changes the decision. I wish I could have one of the sisters in the church here. I was in a meeting with our leaders and pastors one time, and their, their company was in dire straits. One day they'll tell the story. It's a, it's a major company. And, and they, they, they asked if I would come. Would the man of God come and would he just bless? And, and I came and the spirit of God came on me. And I began to give them direction as to what to do with their company. It turned their whole company around. Let me tell you, it, it turned it all around. Not only for this nation, but the whole region. And if they're honest, they'll tell you about it. She tells me all the time. She says, you changed us. She, the CEO came. You changed us. You changed our company. But see, it takes... Revelation to shift things. It takes power of God to, to move things. Not, 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 not just, well, this is, you know, what uh, Keynesian the, uh, economic theory says. Who cares? You see, without revelation, we're powerless to engage anyone or anything. We are just pitting our wits against somebody else's wits. It's revelation that brings the anointing, and it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Can, can I explain something to you? Many of you love to have a battle of the wits. In fact, that's why you've not grown matured spiritually. You, you've, you've, you've become one that needs to be taught again, which are the first principles of the gospel of peace, one that needs milk again instead of strong meat, because you don't own it, you just titillate your minds. You, you play with thoughts. You, you argue thoughts. Oh, yeah, you know, you know, did you see this scripture? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, did you hear so-and-so preaching? Did you hear such-and-so? Oh, I listened to this guy on TV. And, uh, yeah, and you titillate your minds instead of get a hold of God, get a revelation for yourself that changes the atmosphere, that changes your life, that changes you into a powerful leader for the kingdom of God. God's doing that now. This is what we're expecting. We're not going to play anymore. We're going to move and enter into promise. Hallelujah. So I believe that we must begin to seek and experience and in the increase of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need to work in the power and the realm of those gifts of the Spirit, those spiritual gifts. We need to see divine healing. Not from some super healer that walks onto the, ooh, I, I'm not saying that that's always wrong. I think God does use gift ministries to heal. But some of you can't get healed on your own. Some of you can't lay hands on the sick because you're waiting for the holy man from the north to come. The man with the name. And there was a time where God would allow that. But let me tell you something, that sounds to me a lot like the wilderness. God provided everything for everybody in the wilderness. And everybody had to go to Moses. Jethro finally said, this isn't good. Let me tell you something. When they moved into the promised land, the miracle stopped. The manna stopped. The pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day stopped. 
God began to do something in the promised land where every one of them became a king. Every one of them became a leader. Every one of them had an anointing on their life. Every family head, everybody knew that God was king. And they could join together. They could work separately. They could do mighty things. It's time for us to begin to see that today. I believe that these manifestations and outworkings of God's kingdom are essential, both in the realm of evangelism and in building of the faith of every believer. We must see an increase in the realm of spiritual power as leaders find themselves pressing into more and more times of personal and corporate prayer. It's prayer that's going to change these things. I'm tired of all-night prayer meetings where we pray and half the time you don't even know what you're praying about. I want to tap you on your shoulder. Excuse me, excuse me. What are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? I'm praying in tongues. No, you aren't. You're just rattling off thinking by your much speaking you're going to be heard. When you pray in tongues and you have no purpose, no idea what you're praying for, there is no way for that to work. I can promise you right now. There has to be a connection of faith. There has to be a connection of that spiritual gift. There has to be a connection in your mind, your will, your emotions, and the spirit of man, and in your body for that to begin to take hold. You know, we, we came out of an era where we used to read prayers. And we just read them. And I used to mock that. I'd say, oh, geez. You know, what, you can't think of a prayer? Well, now we've come over here on the other side where we have all these elaborate prayers and we say all kinds of mushy stuff and it, and it means nothing. I'd rather go back to at least these prayers had the Bible in them. At least these prayers were the Word of God. And, and, and maybe somewhere in between we can mix faith with the Word of God and we can begin to get answers to our prayers instead of just praying all the time. Where are the answers to all these all-night prayer meetings? Everybody has one now. I'm telling you where it's at, the answer's at. We're moving into the promise. And there's going to be men and women that don't just pray to be seen. There are going to be men that go into their closet and they pray. And they come back and they manifest the answer in public. There's going to be women who get a hold of God. And they don't have to be in a prayer meeting because they... No, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I think we have corporate prayer meetings. We need to be together. I'm encouraging it. But I'll tell you what. Sometimes you can do more in one hour than you can in all night. You're falling asleep half the time anyway. Do you think God hears you more if you stay up all night or if you just touch him by faith? I'm just trying to provoke you a little bit to think. And to enter into promise. Amen? I think we must also model discipleship. It's time to bring discipline back to the church. We need to be a people that demonstrate community so that we can pass Christ's mandate on to the next generation. I'm tired of us not bringing our children to church. Our children should all be here tonight. They, they should be see the, seeing this glorious worship. They should see their daddy lift his hands. They should see their mommy lift her hands. They should be right next to you. I'm so glad to have my grandchildren here. Man, I'll tell you what, Tommy, thank you for bringing your kids 
Thank you for bringing your children to church. Thank you for raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. See, we have to understand something. When Adam fell, mankind lost control of the world in the spiritual realm. And Satan set up his dominion on the earth. He began to parcel out territories and places where his minions could exercise their control. And they could be a disrupting influence over people and systems. These minions are constantly trying to disrupt the work of the church. Constantly trying to disrupt the work of kingdom enterprise and initiatives. We know that ideologies and, and cultural sins, well, so to speak, they're kind of glued in place. They're glued in place within certain cultures, within certain people groups. But we're also aware of what we've come to know in this church is iniquities that are in our families. And they're passed down and they harass or are rampant in certain cultures, in certain families, in certain geographical areas. It is our responsibility to cause these iniquities to cease in our generation. It's up to you and I to repent and to bring ourselves, our families, and the domains that we were given under the blood of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says it this way, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Folks, that's a big order. We know that ideologies of man are empowered in the spiritual realm by demonic personalities. And we as believers cannot be truly effective in the world until those are first subdued. We see many leaders today, and you know that they're being moved by demonic forces. They can't do the things they do without demonic power behind them. Now the hierarchy of the demonic is meant to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit-empowered believer who believes in Jesus Christ, who's part of the church of Jesus Christ. Princes, the Bible talks, talks of them in, in the book of Jude as princes or the majestic ones or the angelic majesties. And in Jude 8, it, it kind of describes them and it says they must be dealt with with biblical protocols. And God describes those protocols in the book of Jude. The whole issue of dealing with principalities and powers and rulers in high places is a calling that you and I, God's chosen ones, or the ecclesia, the, those of us that are separated, called out, or, or the church has been directed to deal with. We must deal with these things. But it is also an area that requires great caution and deliberate energy. Sometimes I hear people, they talk about the devil like he's, well, he's the defeated foe. No, he is still the God of this world. Let me tell you something. And you better know what you're doing. And you don't treat him lightly and you don't treat demons lightly. You don't treat fallen angels lightly. Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? <laughs> when it comes to building strong communities locally, I believe it is time for men and women of faith 
to begin to facilitate partnerships between church leaders, the business community, service organizations, ministries, leaders of various civil governments, so that we can begin to express or at least address the expressed needs of our communities. Our communities are falling apart. They're dying. Our roads don't work. Our, our lights don't work. Our water doesn't work. Our, our public toilets don't work. Uh, I mean, guys, we're, we, and, and it's not going to get fixed by the government. They, they, they don't have the money, the resource, the ability to do it. So something else is going to have to supplant that to take its place. It's time for you and I, believers, to come together and say, let's work together for the good of our community. Here's eight things I'd like you to look at and consider for us to do to work together. First of all, we need to analyze and assess our community's needs and our resources. You'll be surprised at how many resources we have just in our own communities. Number two, we need to provide mediation services for community needs and problems. Sometimes if we could just get the right people around the table, we can solve these problems. But we need different skill sets. We have people running our, some of our council meetings and counselors that, that have never built a home. How are they going to build a road? They don't, they've never seen running water. How are they going to build a plumbing system? They haven't had electricity their whole life, but they're not going to electrify your house. We got the wrong people at the table. And you just sit and complain. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he was talking to you there. <laughs> Number three, we need to build intercessory prayer networks in each of our communities. Some of these things are strongholds that have to be broken. They just, it's been, it, it, the, the devil has infiltrated. Number four, we need to promote effective dialogue and communication with local officials and community organizations. This is going to take hard work. This is going to take godly, spirit-filled men and women that will step into the, the fray, step into the gap and say, I'm, willing to, to, I'm only to take this on. And it's not a one-year project. It's not a, a six-month project. It may be 10 years. We need to raise the needed resources for, for programs. And then we need to aid. We have to find aid and, 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 and intellectual and, and, and financial resources that will meet the needs of the homeless, the widowed, the aged, the youth, and everybody else in our community. Number six, we need to serve as organizers for disaster preparation in our communities. You know, the church is very good at responding. And I'll tell you, I want to commend all of you. Every time there's been a disaster, you guys have responded far and above what anybody else has. And, and it's been the church that's been the backbone of sending money, sending resources, sending people. And I want to thank you for that. But we shouldn't be reacting. We should be prepared. Number seven, we need to organize cleanup campaigns where as citizens we can create awareness and can accomplish hundreds of thousands of dollars of cleanup in our cities, in our towns, in our townships in a very short period of time. And I was involved in one of these cleanup things, and the people of a certain township, and I won't name it, but it was embarrassing, and they didn't have trash pickup. Nobody was picking up their trash, so they were, everybody just wheeling everything to the end of the street and in this flay down where the water runs, and it was just it was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anything, I'd never seen such filth in my life. And, and, and people were just pouring more filth there. And, 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 and we were able to get together with some of our pastors and leaders and we were able to get a few trucks to go in there and, and we got the volunteers and we, and we cleaned that whole thing up. 
And then we talked to the city and they, and they began to do regular rubbish collection again. Folks, sometimes it doesn't take a lot. It just takes some willing souls that will step in the fray and negotiate and make things happen. We did a cleanup campaign. And I, and I want to commend many of the churches here. Many of our pastors, you're involved in that. But let's take it a step further. Let's be strategic about it. And let's make sure that we have something that's lasting. Number eight, and finally, we need to take time to hold celebrations, to honor those politicians, those local politicians that are really doing a good job, to honor police officers. You know, I, I, I feel so sorry for some of our police officers. I mean, they're, they're terrible people sometimes. I mean, they, they, they're, they're terrible because they are treated so poorly. And they've treated us so poorly. But we've created this kind of toxic culture. But there are a few good ones out there. We need to start rewarding them and reward them financially and reward them with uh, merit and begin to praise them and, and, and honor those that are doing good. We need to honor some of our school teachers who work in impossible situations and yet they come to work every day and they take care of our children and they are serving them for far less than they deserve. Some of our social service people within the community, we need to reward them for their excellence. Begin to thank them. I'll tell you what, a thank you goes a long way when you don't think anybody sees what you're doing. I see. Pastors, leaders, church members, we'll take this to heart. Under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll enter into promise. We'll turn this thing around. See, God gave us his master plan in the book of Genesis, the second chapter, the 15th verse, and I won't preach it tonight. But he told us to tend our relational gardens, consisting of our natural families, our spiritual families, those that we work with, our friends, those in the community with whom we engage on a regular basis, or those that we've encountered in a divine encounter spiritually. How many of you have ever had one of those relationships? You just come and you just know this is God and, and God's using you. God wants us to tend those relationships. If we all served our gardens, these gardens that God's given us with spiritual vigor, if we were all praying into each of these relationships, I think we could begin to see the kingdom come in a very meaningful and real relationship with real power. I believe that it's time to trust God to renew our hearts again. I believe it's time for us to get as many boots on the ground as possible. Every believer must come to a place that they see and they recognize their place on the wall. Their seat in the local business community or the church or just the community at large. The place where God placed you. The place where God uses you. The place where God anointed you. Isaiah 61 says it this way, verse 4. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities the desolations of many generations. That's the promise. God's leading a group of people, men and women, who will allow the Holy Spirit to work through them to rebuild the wastes, the desolations. Always in a great place for that to happen. Isaiah 11 says this, verse 9 and 10. It says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an instant to the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. 
and his wrist shall be glorious. Guys, God is taking us into promise, and in promise there is rest. It's resting in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's resting in what God can do through you. It's being enabled by revelation, by insight, by God's grace and God's power. It's real. It's hard work, I can promise you. It'll be hard work. There will be real enemies, but there will be great victories. And finally, I want to close with one of my favorite psalms. Jonathan, this is yours of my song. We love this. Psalm 22, and verses 27 and 28 says this. And to me, this is what it means for us to enter into promise. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among nations. He is the governor among the nations. I do believe that we are arriving at a point in history, and we're arriving here at this point in history, and it's not without a purpose. There is a purpose. Is there not a cause? Whatever we are experiencing, I believe will be used by God to bring glory to himself and to his son and to his kingdom. The machinations of man serve the purposes of God since he bends all things to his will. He uses the energies of the enemies, of our enemies, of his enemies, to further his own purposes. Not everything comes from God, but everything is used by God. It is time for you and I as believers to now perform our role in the earth. Quite frankly, I believe that it's because of our failure as Christians to perform and because of the world's systems, this world system's ineptitudes that finds us where we are at this time in history. It's placed us there. May God forgive us. May a loving body of believers, the ecclesia, if you will. I wish I could talk to you about that a little bit more. But may we arise and may we bring Christ the glory for which he paid for. He paid for a glorious church, a glorious people. May his bride take her rightful place as a servant of our Father and as a lover of mankind. The question for us tonight and throughout this action conference and into the future remains. What will you and I do effectively to effectively play our part in seizing this opportunity of entering into the promise? What are we going to do? I'm going to close with a quote from a man named Daniel Webster. The early history of America, this godly, godly man who wrote the dictionary, the, the Webster's English Dictionary. He said this while addressing the New York Historical Society in February of 1852. He says, but if we or posterity rejects religious instruction and authority, violate the rules of eternal justice, trifle with the injunctions of morality and recklessly destroy the political constitution which holds us together. No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us, and that shall bury all of our glory 
in profound obscurity. Should that catastrophe happen, let it have no history. Let that horrible never narrative never be written. Boy, I'm going to say that tonight. May we never let what the gainsayers, the evil and wicked men of this world are saying, let's, let, let's not let that narrative be written. Let's as Christians stand up and say, no, we have a different narrative. Thus saith the Lord. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.